We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. But, Jack, how are we doing? I am doing well, Nick. We're doing lots of podcasts, lots of content still coming. And, I mean, in these sort of times, it's fun to talk about basketball. And it's even more fun to speak about the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, we are missing them right now. I miss Nets basketball to, like, the highest extent. But we at least have a little bit of content to talk about. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, get us going. All right, we've got plenty of topics to talk about. And, Nick, we're going to kick off with one that's been rumbling around Nets Twitter for quite a bit. There's been articles written about it, a plenty, including on Nets Daily, the New York Post, uh, and Empire Sports Media. Is Jared Allen long for the Brooklyn Nets. Is he gone? You know, I think people are kind of rushing to this assumption that he's gone. I don't think the Nets are going to go into the summer being like, hey, we need to trade Jared Allen. If they were able to keep Jared Allen and they hypothetically wanted to start DeAndre Jordan next season, Jared Allen would be one of the best backup centers in the entire NBA. And it's probably not even that close considering his skill set and what he can do. And I think he's going to get better. I think it's easy to forget he's only 21 years old. Is it more likely he's going to be traded this offseason than last? For sure, because not only is, you know, that whole DeAndre Jordan versus Jared Allen situation there, but Jared Allen is one of the Nets' best trade chips, and they have to worry about paying him down the line. And with this whole NBA suspension, it can make contracts even more confusing, especially with the way that the cap's going to change. So I think it's definitely more likely than it was. But to act like it's a it's a definite fact that Jared Allen is going to be gone this offseason, I think is a little bit of a rush. 
Yeah, I don't think it's a definite fact at all, but I think it's becoming from, if we're putting, you know, we always love to put percentages on it here at the Brooklyn Buzz. You know, I think it's creeping up to almost the 50-50 range. Where yeah. We might not see Jared Allen anymore. And, you know, the guys that have been spoken about in terms of like Serge Ibaka, these sort of guys that, and I, I like the point you made about the fact that his rookie contract is ending. You know, the Nets have already paid Torian Prince. The Nets have already paid Carlos Levert. Uh, Joe Harris is probably a more valuable piece in my eyes. And that's not just me being biased. I, I think that in terms of center, the center position, I, I think it's the, the least important in the modern NBA, unless you have an absolute stud, an Embiid, a Davis, uh, a Nikola Jokic, wh- whoever you want to talk about. Whereas a makeshift center, I think you're better off getting you know, a guy that can sort of just fit in. You know, I think that you, you, you made a point about Jared Allen being probably one of the best backup centers, or if not like you know, a very good starting center in terms of how many of the minutes he plays. In the minutes that he was playing under Jacques Vaughn, he was you know, getting 20 minutes a night and in the late sort of realms when he was with Coach Kenny was similar as well. But I think you know, Jared Allen could be essentially what uh, maybe like a juiced up Nerlens Noel. You know, Nerlens Noel is sort of a, a bench guy in OKC. You know, under Stephen Adams, you know, plays incredibly well in the minutes that he does play. You know, is similarly lanky like Jared Allen, lacks some strength, but has great defensive instincts. You know, is a bit limited offensively. I mean, they they have very similar skill sets in that sort of range. But yeah, the likelihood is certainly increasing, and he might be. You know, whenever the NBA does come back, Jared Allen could be one of the first guys on the trading block. If we're talking about, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Avert, Jared Allen, I think that if we're ranking who's most likely to get traded right now, I think Jared Allen is probably number one on that list. Yeah, I would agree too, especially just like I kind of mentioned, his contract and the fact is, it's not necessarily like that Jared Allen is bad or anything or that he doesn't fit the team. It's just like he's not at his prime level. He's not like championship ready at this point in his career. And it's nothing on him. He hasn't been in the NBA that long. Like we mentioned, he's only 21 years old. I think the Nets could move him, like you mentioned, and maybe get another wing defender or somebody defensively or another three-point shooter, whatever it may be, that provides more value with a guy like uh, Kyrie and KD and then get some reserve center that, you know, is probably not as good as Jared Allen but could still do a lot of the things that he could do. And, hey, Kyrie didn't mention his name after that game against Philadelphia. So, I mean, wink, wink, hint, hint. And the fact is, like, if the Nets do make any type of trade for a star, there's a good, there's a 99% chance they're including two of the three of Spencer Dinwiddie, Carol Savard, and Jared Allen. And it's a lock that the Nets are going to probably try to push Jared Allen in that trade and keep one of the two of Spencer or Karras. Yeah, exactly. And that's it at the end of the day. But uh, any more thoughts on Jared Allen, Nick, before we do move on? We'll, we'll probably get into some player season reviews and it'll be interesting to dive deep into the to the Frode big man. And, you know, I think some people have spoken about, you know, his, his and I mean, it was the, probably the number one question about his status as a rookie and before he was drafted was about his motivation and passion for basketball and, you know, the consistency. And, you know, earlier in the season, Kenny Atkinson, you know, we spoke about the little habits that he was doing. He was putting his his feet up and he was getting 2020 games and you know coach Kenny was like we need you to be more aggressive and he's just like yeah okay coach I think that you know mentality and confidence means everything in basketball and I don't think Jared Allen has been playing confident basketball uh, for a large portion of when you know probably for the last sort of month or so I guess off the top of my head yeah and I would say this is a subjective thing this is just my opinion I think at times he doesn't play with the same intensity. Not to say that he's like not interested in the game, but you can definitely tell there's times where Jared Allen is kind of like hyped up and playing like very intense and very active. There's other games where he's kind of, I don't want to say going through the motions, but you just don't quite feel him as much. 
Yeah, and I, and I think it's hard in, in whatever environment and in an ever-changing environment. You know, basketball is, is an absolute grind and, you know, with rumours swirling around. But I, I think in the Brooklyn Nets organisation, you know, the, the excuses should be less for a guy like Jared Allen to be performing consistently. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be like, well, why isn't he getting the minutes? Well, you know, I, I think if you're watching Brooklyn Nets basketball of late, you know, you're not going to be gifted minutes just because you are a promising young prospect. You know, if the Nets were you know, in a different position if they had, you know, no Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and you had, you know, a backup center like Ed Davis slash DeAndre Jordan, yes, then yes, Jared Allen's getting 30 minutes a night and Ed Davis or, or, or DeAndre Jordan's getting 15 to 18 minutes. But at this sort of stage, we need to look at and experiment with the fact that, okay, well, what lineups and, and what are we going to be looking at when we have our, our two best players back fit and healthy, which we will get to later in the podcast. But yeah, hopefully, we don't, it's a certainly a, a very much a wait and see proposition. And this might be a stupid thing, but this is one thing I've definitely noticed with Jared Allen. Other teams do not respect him in terms of like a physical presence. Like you consistently see him getting fouled on screens and it's guards pushing him over. And at the end of the day, like you, I know this is more old school, but you want your center to be tough and you want him to be an interior presence where it's going to be tough to go to the rim against him. Jared Allen is a great shot blocker, probably one of the best in the NBA. But physically, if you put a body on him at the rim, there's a good chance you're going to be able to still get your shot up because he just lacks that physicality and probably some of that aggressiveness slash toughness to really, you know, go against big bodies in the postseason. Yeah, that's it at the end of the day. But now we'll get to some coaching news, Nick. And um, we didn't really touch on the, the Ty Lue stuff that was sort of bumbling around a little bit because, you know, my boy Joe Harrison, this was coming out on the New York Post around March 14, and, and he was asked about, you know, guys like Phil Handy and, and Ty Lue, and he, quote, said this, I had nothing but good and positive experiences in my time in Cleveland. It was an unbelievable coaching staff I learned a lot from. Every time I see those guys, whether it's at Summer League or when we play against them, good positive interacts with them, guys I had a lot of respect for. They're both excellent coaches. Ty Lue especially playing in this league, being an assistant for a long time, just the way he was able to relate with the players, especially just day-to-day, was pretty unique in terms of a coaching perspective. I always liked that about him, just his ability to gel and mesh with everybody. He seemed to lo- he seemed like to me to be one of those guys when he did play, he was probably close with everybody in the locker room, just the way he was able to interact with every single guy on the team. Interesting comments from Joey Buckets. Yeah, and I think Joe's never really going to say anything bad about people because he has a great understanding of you know the NBA and obviously relationships and how important that is. But again, he did go out of his way to say nice things and about his ability to relate with players. There was even talk about you know Ty Lue at times was willing to challenge LeBron James, and obviously not many coaches are willing to do that on a regular basis. So I think that's an important thing. I don't. We kind of talked about. It. I wouldn't hate Ty Lue. I wouldn't love Ty Lue. I think it's just a lot of unknown because it's how much of the success that he had in Cleveland was having two of the best players in the NBA in terms of Kyrie and LeBron or was it you know some of the coaching changes he made I think it's easy to look back and not really know but then again you come to this situation and it's very similar where you have two of the best players in the NBA if KD is healthy and Kyrie and KD so maybe it's just kind of more of a thing where you let these guys do their thing and coach when you need to coach instead of overstepping. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've made my thoughts on about Ty Lue as well. And if Joe Harris says that he's good, it only increases my uh, adoration for him as well. But another coach that's sort of been making the the rumor around the rumor rung is uh, Stan Van Gundy. And, you know, he's been linked to, to both New York teams. And he said about the Nets... Of the net of the two out of New York and, and Brooklyn, the Nets are the better job. There's no question about that right now. The organization has been more stable, they've won more games, and they have more talent. Stan Van Gundy, is he gonna be a Brooklyn Nets coach, Nicholas? 
<laughs> I don't know about all of that, but I mean, he definitely didn't hurt his case to try to get the job saying nice things about the team. Anytime you kind of bash the Knicks, it's going to always help your Nets perspective too. I mean, Van Gundy does have the experience. I believe he's took the Orlando Magic team to the finals. They did lose to the Lakers. He's had some success in the league. I think he's a really passionate guy. I think he can be a little bit overbearing, and that's what kind of scares you in certain situations, dealing with maybe a player like Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I think he's a little less malleable than a guy like Tyloo would be or a guy like Phil Handy would be. You know, in terms of, you know, we see some coaches who overshadow uh, the, the personalities of their players and you sort of think of guys like Phil Jackson and and, and guys that are sort of larger than life, um, you know, guys like, you know, um, who was the Denver coach back in the day? George Carl, those yep. sort of guys who are really overbearing and are sort of like authoritarian in some yep. ways. Not saying the Stan Van Gundy is that, but that's more the style, their style of coaching, whereas I think the modern, younger sort of assistant coach is probably what the Nets need or at least a guy with a little bit of experience, which is why we've brought up Ty Lue and why we've brought up Phil Handy, these sort of guys in the past. And, but you know Stan Van Gundy, like you said, Nick, he's proven. You know he he he's coached winning teams. And I mean, if you're coaching a personality, if you can somehow get the best out of a guy like Dwight Howard, his best days were under Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, I think he would have probably the respect of a lot of the players just because he has NBA success and he seems like he's a respected guy. And I thought I felt like he's done a really nice job of the TNT broadcast too. Like I yeah. thought he's been a nice ad compared to a lot of the other voices they have on there. The combo with Iron Eagle has been great. Yeah, I think that his analysis shows that he is, despite the fact that, yeah, he's in touch with the with Bowden basketball, which I think is probably uh, more to say than, you know, his, uh, his brother would. And, you know, he said before, like, um, you know, he bashed the Knicks a little bit as well, which was, which was kind of fun. So he's certainly endearing himself to uh, the, the Nets fans. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with the online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit the website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering expert. But in some, in some related news to the, to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, Nick, some of our guys have been uh, donating and including... You know, our young, you know, not rookie anymore, but our young second-year player, Janan Musa, was buying medical supplies for his hometown hospital after Bosnia had their first coronavirus death. So, uh, Janan Musa, I mean, the quality of the organization of the Brooklyn Nets, the quality of the NBA public in general, uh, it speaks volumes. And, you know, he said, my hometown of Bihak is desperate to get things right now. The equipment was ordered according to the instructions of the management of the uh, Cantonal Hospital in Bihak. Uh, the equipment is currently in high demand and almost impossible to find, but we were lucky enough to reach the supply through a friend. I would appeal to anyone who was able to get involved in helping. So um, absolute superstar kid, superstar yeah, kid. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like love, I, I mean, obviously it's great when anybody donates, but I have a different type of appreciation when somebody who's not making a ton of NBA money, it's not like Yana Musa has signed a max contract or even made, you know, $10 million in a year. He's not balling out and still, you know, donate is huge, especially in a time of need for a lot of people that are suffering yeah speaks volumes speaks volumes to him speaks volume to the nets organization and uh, our superstar Kyrie Irving also made a donation on his birthday a 323 
thousand dollar donation to feeding america um i mean some it is still kind of funny in, given the circumstances of the fact that it was he donated three hundred twenty three thousand dollars on the the 23rd of the third it was his birthday and also howard beck was told that it also might have been called the, because of the fact that three plus two plus three is eight so i mean we know you know the kevin durant seven thing uh kyrie irving stuff but the this donation itself i mean we know kyrie irving gets way too much um you know criticism for his personality and stuff but these are the things that probably go under the radar and we're going to give it the credit that it deserves and Kyrie Irving is an absolute stud of a dude and the fact that he's uh, like the the larger NBA community is doing in general really trying to make an effort to sort of help the lives of others that don't necessarily have those resources that these guys do that speaks volumes yeah, 100%. And I think also it might have said that he was volunteering too, like helping out, not only donating, which I think is huge too, having an impact in the community and, you know, showing your face when you can, obviously, in a time like this. Absolutely, absolutely. But Nick, we're going to get to Spencer Dinwiddie Twitter watch. And there's been plenty of plenty of stuff happening on Spencer Dinwiddie's Twitter this week. You know, he's It's hard to keep up. It, it is. I've got a lucky I have a Google Doc running and I have about six links that I'm opening as we speak. And I'm doing well to sort of fill in the time by just speaking while I click open on all these different links. All right, <laughs> good. They're all open. So uh, when Adam Harrington was talking to, I think, his son, he was talking with, about the three moves that will work out um, when you're talking about individual players. And he said, Karis Levert's double shimmy going right. Spent, uh, Sp- uh, Spider Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell's cross jab finishing at the rim. And Spencer did when he's full speed right hand drive, crashing into the nearest guy and looking for a foul. And Spencer Dimmy wasn't happy with that. He had, I wonder which one has the highest points per possession. Thinking emoji. Well, you see, he's not wrong. He's not yeah. wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, it's also, you know, kind of a hit or miss depending on the officiating. But I found that really funny, especially. And you know Adam Harrington has a great relationship with a lot of players. He's joked around with Spencer. You see it on uh, Twitter sometimes. And it seems like he's actually been getting kind of active on uh, Twitter. You reckon Adam Harrington's a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky Brooklyn Nets coaching candidate, Nick? He's obviously got that embedded relationship with Kevin Durant, too. I believe so. I think he was actually one of the names on like uh, the betting odds of the next Nets head coach because of the relationship. And it just seems that like he seems like a really nice, positive guy that has positive energy. And obviously, if KD is backing him up as the head coach, I think that provides a lot of value. Not saying he's a favorite or anything like that, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like it would not blow my mind if he ended up being the head coach. He obviously doesn't have maybe the necessary experience, but sometimes other factors can overcome that. Definitely. And, you know, if I'm putting my money on betonline.ag, Adam Harrington is certainly one of those guys to check out. And uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was having a bit of interaction with NBA TV and he picked out three of his favorite Brooklyn Nets performances and moments over the past three seasons. And he had D'Lo Sacramento game, Karras' 51, and Kyrie's game winner over the Knicks. Uh, those three performances are the ones that we've spoken about at length here on the podcast too, Nick. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't give himself any respect for that Houston comeback last year. True. Very, very true. I mean, that, that was, was one his of, best performance ever. I, I think that was, it was absolutely sensational. And I think it, you know, you're doing it against the, the quality of the opponent. And, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's a humble dude. He ain't going to talk himself up. And I, I respect that about him. But Nick, he's uh, also has shared some thoughts about Game of Thrones. Alfonso McKinney put out on his Twitter, he might, might have to rewatch Game of Thrones during this time. Spencer wasn't happy about that. He's like, don't waste your time. Phenomenal show for six seasons. Angry emoji. All right. I'm going to be doing some sort of content possibly for my brother's YouTube page. No idea. Subscribe onto that, you know, on, on YouTube. 
I think that the season seven, the final season of Game of Thrones, gets way too much criticism. Yes, I think it is judged based off the standard that Game of Thrones set in the previous six seasons. But if you're judging season seven as a TV show compared to other average or normal TV shows, I think it's still a quality product of television. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the expectation itself for itself. It's like you're LeBron James for six seasons, and the last two seasons you're just an average NBA player. Like, yeah. I don't know. Let's, I'm trying to think of someone who's like really average. I was going to say Andrew Jeff Wiggins, Green. but I feel, yeah, okay. Yeah, even Jeff Green. Like, it just like drops off. It's not terrible. It's not bad, but you expect it to continue to get better because I think that's what happened. You know, you were at season six and like things are really peaking out. And it just, I think from a fan perspective, it felt really rushed, especially considering some of the mistakes they made, like leaving coffee cups on the screen and things along those lines. It felt, you just didn't feel the same passion that you felt in the other seasons. It just felt like almost everyone wanted to be done with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally have been to the Starbucks and Starbucks and Westeros. They, they do have one over there. <laughs> they don't. Um, but I agree with the criticism. I think that it just does get a little bit too much uh, criticism that is maybe mildly unwarranted. But get into some other... I'll just throw one more thought because I don't have the luxury of having these outlets to throw it out there. I think that if Game of Thrones had a successful se- season seven and eight, it would be almost a lock for being the best TV show of all time. And I think that's what disappoints people is because it was so great for so many seasons and it had this potential to be the GOAT. And it just pretty much did the opposite of pulling up clutch and just choked in the final two seasons. It did a little bit. It did a little bit. I think that's fair. I think, you know, if you're putting out things like The Wire and The Sopranos and Break Bad, Game of Thrones is... If you're going season one to six Game of Thrones, then yeah, it's in. it's certainly in that realm. But, you know, it's no longer probably up there in terms of the high quality for season on season end but you know for me it's the office and bar office bar none you know remembering the office make sure you check that one out spotify spreaker podcasts wherever you get your podcasts uh, me and Corey waldron are doing some work on the office but nick spencer dimity also didn't think uh, this was in response to nba tnt and they wrote sylph's trying to figure out how king james pulled this off brain exploding emoji where he did the between the legs of tristan thompson uh, against when he was playing for cleveland against the philadelphia 76ers um he didn't mean to do that lol chill spencer did when he got a lot of that got like over 140,000 likes and plenty of comments on twitter yeah i think actually spencer's right i well, i've I don't think he aimed to put it between Tristan's legs. I think he just aimed to put it behind his back because like as good as he is, like LeBron's best skill set isn't that he's the best ball handler in the NBA. He's a great ball handler. He's, you know, like top of the line. He can handle the ball, but like behind the back between other players' legs, that's something we'd kind of expect from Kyrie. I don't know what we'd expect from LeBron. And if you even watch the play, I'm watching it again right now. He even kind of stumbles over Joel Embiid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'll back my boy Spence on this one. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, as much as I love Spencer Dinwiddie, I think I might love LeBron James a little bit more because he's the reason why I got into this sport and I wouldn't be doing these podcasts if it wasn't for him. I want to maintain the belief, Nick. I want to maintain the, the the luster allure of, of King James. I'm going with him. I'm, I'm siding with King James on this one. And that in response to uh, a person was like, this isn't getting downplayed either. And it was a person who showed the highlight of Spencer you know, literally throwing the ball straight out of bounds. I think it was against the Memphis Grizzlies in that, yeah, whatever, no, that, that Miami like Heat. That yeah, the Miami Heat where it was that really, really poor pass. And Spencer was like, you're only as good as your last game. And Spencer had, you know, he, he redeemed himself in that sort of uh, respect anyway. 
Yeah, he's had a couple questionable passes this year, but some of that's like new teammates, and sometimes you get lucky, like every time you bank a three in the NBA. Exactly, exactly. Sometimes the bank is open even when you don't think it is. And the final one, Nick, is that you know he, he responded in general to all of the sort of grief that he was getting on Twitter. He's like, I think the worst insults have to be all the variations of, bro, your name is Spencer Dinwiddie, with the subsequent emojis, etc. I'm like scream emoji is that why they've been calling me that for 26 years blank face <laughs> emoji uh spence we love you mate we love you yeah uh, yeah spence is definitely a guy that is criticized a lot i did like um i don't know if you got a chance to see it because it dropped probably right when you were sleeping gq did an interview with him and there was some talk about like you know the the um the complaints about the NBA players getting, you know, the testing for the coronavirus and the general public not. And Spencer laid it out pretty well, kind of what we talked about on the last show, saying how it's more so to do with the government and putting in the healthcare system that they're putting a dollar amount on a test instead of it just making it free for everyone. And that, you know, and that's the right thing in that situation. Absolutely. We spoke about that one. I need to find that because why is it on YouTube? GQ, it should be on damn YouTube. But yes, I'll be consuming that content once we are done producing our own content. But Nick, final one, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. Iron Eagle was speaking to uh, Michael K. Lovely, the fact that we still have Skype and Zoom and all the technology that allows us to produce content. And he, uh, a major takeaway was the fact that he thinks that Kevin Durant would be back by the time the season does come back, if, it, if and when it does. And he also brought up the fact that after Kyrie's surgery, and we spoke about this and speculated about it plenty, he said that there was a four to six week timetable for Kyrie Irving's surgery and it would have put them both in line to a possibility to return if the NBA were to return around June, July, somewhere around that time. Yeah, and I had made it seem like KD at this point, and we kind of mentioned this in the past, his rehab is pretty much done. He's getting back in basketball shape, and he made it seem that the Nets would pretty much put it on KD. If KD wanted to play this season, they would let him play. If he didn't want to play, they would not force him to be out there, and I would assume it would be a similar thing with Kyrie. I would assume between those two being such good friends, it would almost be a joint decision. Hey, do you guys want to try to run this through and maybe pull up an upset and make a finals run or something along those lines? Or is it best for us to just recoup and get ready for next season and we know we're going to make a couple changes? I mean, you weigh up the pros and cons. What What is the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen, Katie could re-injure his Achilles and we, we won't see him again. And we've paid him hundreds of millions of dollars to do nothing for the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving, what's the worst thing that could happen to him? The, the shoulder injury could it continue to linger and it could you know, form maybe some form of arthritis in it and we never see him again. So there could be some significant risk. That'll certainly be weighed up by the Brooklyn Nets medical staff, by Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant themselves. But I mean, the, this, the fact that the season has been shut down um, and warrantedly so, um, we may see these guys back and we'll, we'll continue to speculate about it. And now that I guess, you know, a guy of Iron Eagles intelligence has brought out the fact that, you know, these are the timelines that are sort of here. This is what could happen. This is what couldn't happen. Uh, Iron Eagles incredibly switched on an intelligent man when it comes to any news, let alone Brooklyn Nets news. So um, I'm, I'm getting a little more confident about it, a little more excited about it when I hear uh, a man of his stature say what he does. Yeah, I think Ian does a great job of dropping little nuggets in whatever, you know, broadcast or uh, interview or whatever he's doing. That just a little bit of information that might make you think and think about the possibility. So, and I also think like you look at the cons too, is like, 
what's the difference between the probability of Kyrie or Kevin Durant getting hurt if we bring them back now or them getting hurt next season? Like, is it substantially different or are they essentially at the same risk if they were to play next year that they're playing right now, considering if they're 100% healthy? I think you look at that too and what perspective it is. Very, very interesting stuff. Like somehow we still got a, a news podcast, despite the fact that there'd been bugger all news about the Brooklyn Nets. That's how good we are at the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm not Two weeks since the suspension. Two weeks and we're still producing content and we are going to be producing plenty of content for you guys. And I mean, we all need a, a little bit of a distraction nowadays and what better one than uh, Brooklyn Nets content to consume uh, during these uh, isolation times. So make sure you are doing that. Make sure you're washing your hands, staying clean, self-isolating, keeping everyone around you healthy, keeping your loved ones healthy. And, you know, the best way to stay healthy is just you know, get up in your room, blast the speaker out and listen to the sultry tones of Nick Faye and Jack Manuel. Exactly. And we'll be drunk. Like Jack said, we'll be got some pods coming up for you guys. Team review, expectation, employee reviews. We're going to hope to get some guests on, maybe even rewatch some Nets games. As always, big thanks everybody for checking in. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.